Take a look at the screen here. Does anybody recognize this television character? Does anybody recognize this? Uh, this television character, his name is Ryan uh, from the uh, American remake of the show called The Office, right? So the background of this character, his name is Ryan, and his nickname was The Temp because the series started out where he was a temp. You know, a temp agency provides temporary workers to offices that need them. Background, though, was he seemed like he wasn't in his mind, progressing as he should through his career because he went to business school, had an MBA, and yet he was working as a temp at a temp agency being supplied to a local office. Well, an interesting plot twist in the series a few, a few seasons later is that um, there is an opening as, at a corporate position at the corporate office. There's an opening there, and unbeknownst to the show, they reveal it later that he put his name in for that position, and because of his qualifications on paper... And they, he impressed them. He evidently got the job there at corporate. And so he was a corporate manager. And so the following season, he comes back and his demeanor and persona has completely changed. He grew that little beard. He had some flashy suits. And he came in full of arrogance, full of arrogance. Uh, anything but humility uh, coming in as what was a former temp and a young guy uh, with inexperience. He didn't come in. Uh, with humility, but he came in with arrogance and really ruffled some feathers, and in fact, it was ultimately his undoing. So that is not an example of what we see here, the admonition that Paul gives to Timothy. So today we're in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and we see leading above expectations, leading above your expectations. Let's read this verse together. Let no one despise you, some translations say, look down upon you. Uh, no one uh, d- deny you or look down upon you or despise you because of your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit. In some translations say spirit, in faith, in purity. Now, a lot of times people love to think, especially when we're young, we like to read the first part of that verse and we neglect the second part and really the following verses as well. Let no one look down upon you because you're young. We like kind of full stop right there. Nope. But you must be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in character, in purity. So we see despise or look down upon you, as it says in certain translations. In Greek culture here, in the Greek culture of the day, they placed a tremendous value upon age and qualification, which is a good thing. Even in the Bible, we see... Uh, In the book of Proverbs, we see certain scriptures that say a man's gray hair is his crown. We see it in scripture as well that age and experience is a tremendous qualification. But in Greek culture of the day, they almost took it to an nth degree in which they would look down upon someone or despise them and say there's no way that that person can be qualified. But we know the background text of this, of course, is that Timothy was given the post of leading the church at Ephesus. He was part of of Paul's traveling cohort of missionaries, and as they would go throughout the known world, they would see believers come to faith in Christ, and they would plant a church there. And we see that Paul left Timothy in charge of the church at Ephesus. He had some other postings as well. We'll talk about his influence a little bit in Philippians, but here he's writing to him, and he's saying, make sure that they don't look down upon you because of your age, but again, it's not a full stop. He says, but you must be an example in order for that to happen. Here's what you must do. Here's what you must do. You see, here's the thing, too, that we have to be very careful to understand. We have to understand it right off the bat. 
if you don't feel like you're young, that doesn't mean you can check out today, right? It's not, of course, the immediate context here, the manifestation of, of this understanding and this principle is that Timothy was young man in a posting that was over his head. But we can see by principle, no matter what our age is here today, all of us can find ourselves in leadership positions when we feel underqualified and when we feel overwhelmed. Underqualified and overwhelmed. So it may not be that the, the, the age, that your youth is the issue, but it could be that you find yourself leading something and by principle you feel underqualified and overwhelmed. And so you can commiserate with Timothy, even though his particular issue in his posting of leadership was his age. Because here's the thing that we have to understand about the entirety of leadership here, is that we all come to whatever leadership position, we all come to the table in our different leadership positions with various levels of experience and expertise and age and things like that, and we can find ourselves in places where we feel overwhelmed and underqualified, but leadership is about continual development, continual development. So folks, even when you feel overwhelmed and underqualified, you can develop as a leader. And how do we see it here? What does Paul tell Timothy? By being an example for all. By being an example. Those are the things that can overcome your lack of qualification and you feeling like you're overwhelmed and you're way over your head. And so we see Timothy here in his posting was leading above his expectations. So he says, let no one despise you or look down upon you for your youth. And again, if you're not young, it can still, uh, it can still apply to being under, underqualified and overwhelmed. But what are you to do? Set the believers an example. Anyone of any qualification level, of any background, can be an example to others. You know, I love the verse, and it's really challenging in, in its very face value and its very nature. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Think about that. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Talk about putting pressure on yourself, right? He's saying, I am going to do my dead level best of living like Christ, and I'm going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes. That's sort of the undercurrent of what he's saying. But I am going to do my best to imitate Christ. And he's saying to the Corinthian church, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. He is setting an example. And you say, well, pastor, that's Paul, right? That's Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We talked about Paul last week in detail in the midst of a sermon series about Barnabas. He was obviously special, and yes, he was. But we are all called to be holy. He isn't given a different standard to the apostles and to the apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We're all called to be holy because now it's our new nature. If you are born again in Jesus Christ, you are made holy. And Jesus himself, God himself, is making you more and more like the sun each and every day. The process of sanctification. Matching up your positional sanctification, your positional nature with your daily nature. He's doing that work in your life. And so, yes, just like Paul... You can set the goal for yourself of imitating Christ and asking those around you to imitate him, to imitate yourself as you imitate Christ, setting an example. Now we see here, he says, there are two kind of categories. He didn't say that, but we see it very clearly here. Two categories of an example that we're to set, outward and inward, very simply. And so the very first thing that we're going to see is the outward example that we're to set. So we're to set an outward example in, first of all, our speech our speech folks you understand the tongue is an incredible tool 
It's an incredible tool for either edification or destruction. An incredible tool. It is amazing. And we see in the book of James, of course, it says the tongue is such a small part of the body. Just like a rudder of a ship is such a small part of the ship, but just like the rudder, it can turn an enormous, a massive ship. So the tongue can turn turn our lives. So the tongue can be an instrument for edification or destruction. You know, we're told in Ephesians, in fact, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is necessary for edification, for building one another up. We've talked about that word edification and building up isn't so much the sense of building up like building a building, but building up like building one's body, much like you would eat good protein so that you would build up the muscles of your body. That's the idea there behind edification of the tongue. When we say positive things, when we speak with Christ-likeness and godliness, when sometimes that means, as we've said throughout this sermon series, speaking the truth in love, we edify one another. We build one another up. Now, here's the thing about the tongue. The tongue is the most vivid indicator of the heart. You know, when we talk about here in speech or just a few moments about conduct and really throughout this entire sermon, we're going to see in the background the idea of the heart because he speaks about the tongue, but the tongue is the most vivid indicator of the heart. Can I talk with you about mucus this morning? How's that sound? Yes, please do. Wonderful, right? So we know mucus is a part of the human body and mucus is a good thing. Mucus is part of your defense system. Uh, that creates a layer, in, a layer of protection between uh, the outside contaminants of our world and your body. It's a good thing, and good clear mucus is a good thing. But we know sometimes there can be green mucus or yellow mucus in, uh, in our bodies, right? And come out of our bodies. I have a picture, in fact. No, I don't. No. <laughs> no, I don't have a picture. You're going to thank you. Thank you for not showing a picture of the mucus. No. But we know some types of mucus, in fact, green mucus, did you know this, can be a sign of there's something wrong with your body. When you have a cold, your body sends uh, white blood cells, sends antibodies to, your, to, your, uh, to that, to that uh, area of your body and helps to repair those things. I'm speaking way out of my expertise, of course, so medical personnel here, forgive me uh, for, for what I might not get quite right here. But we see that part of those white blood cells can have a, a green enzyme in them. And when there's a large collection in one space, it can cause that mucus to turn green. So it can be an effect. It can be a sign of something wrong is happening in your body, and your body is trying to repair that thing. In the same way, we see what comes out of the mouth is an indicator of the heart. Our speech is an indicator of our heart. We know, think about the times where you've said something that you really regret. Think about the times that you've complained about somebody. Think about sometimes you've said something very hurtful to someone. Think about those times when you are embarrassed about some speech. If you really are honest with yourself, you would know that that just didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of thoughts that have been rolling around in your mind. That came out of a heart. And so the heart and the the tongue is the most vivid indicator of the heart. Matthew 24, excuse me, 12, verses 34 through 35, very familiar verses. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's almost like when our heart is overflowing. So if it's bubbling with good things, and a pure heart, it bubbles out through the mouth, through our speech. But if our heart is dark and it's not given over to the Lord and we see sin in our heart, it bubbles out through our speech. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But a purified heart leads to good speech. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But not only are we to set an outward example in speech, but also in our conduct. In our conduct. Folks, your conduct can bolster or it can unravel any leadership credibility you attempt to build. And I'm talking about whether that is the church or whether that is our secular world. Remember we've talked about there's not exactly a dichotomy between those things, but for precision and for understanding, making sure we're on the same page, that applies whether you're leading in a church setting like this or you're leading in a secular setting of a job or a school or whatever it might be. Your conduct can bolster or unravel any leadership credibility you attempt to build. Now, of course, we're talking about here, just like Paul was, issues of the heart. But when we're thinking about our conduct, our conduct also applies to our work ethic and working hard to gain expertise. Folks, again, we're going to talk primarily here, just as Paul did, about those issues of the heart. But when we're thinking about conduct, you cannot neglect, especially if you feel, under, uh, if you feel overwhelmed and you feel undertrained for whatever position you find yourself in, whether it be age or anything else, Part of your good conduct in whatever leadership role you find yourself is working hard to make sure that you gain expertise and you do a good job. That is an outward expression of character and integrity. Are you just resting on your laurels? Are you just kind of resting on the position? Or are you making sure that you work hard and and it is a matter of your conduct? Let's look here in the, the remainder of these verses here in this section of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 13 through 16. What does Paul tell Timothy? He talks about his conduct and he talks about what will make sure not only his, his um, character, but also how he uh, lives his life, how he conducts himself, how that will gain attraction even when he feels overwhelmed. Till I come, give attention to the reading and to the exhortation to doctrine. Give your attention to those things. That's what your church needs. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying of the hands and the eldership. He said, don't neglect that. Use it. Use it and and make sure that that you are cultivating it. Make sure that you are doing better with it. And he says in verse 15, meditate upon these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. Do you get any sense that Paul is saying, hey, yeah, you just get in the position and you you make sure you're kind of acting in humility and you can just kind of rest on your laurels? No, he's saying work hard to develop the gifts you've been given. And we see that in the context here of this local church. But man, that very principle of having enough integrity to develop yourself as a leader absolutely applies in whatever position you find yourself. He says, make sure you're living with integrity. And we see that not only that developing that integrity of our abilities, but also that integrity of our character and our holiness. Paul is also writing... And he's talking to the Philippian church, and he talks about the character of Timothy in a roundabout way. Verse 19 of chapter 2, so Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 and following. Flip there with me if you would, if not, just listen along. But he says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Remember, he's writing to the Philippian church this time. So he trusts Timothy enough, and Timothy has enough character to send them to the church at Philippi. 
But I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. So he's saying, I have no one else except Timothy who is like-minded that I can trust. For all seek their own. So even those that he feel might be decent leaders, they are seeking their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him to you at once, as soon as he sees, as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. So in his absence, he sends Timothy not only to lead the church at Ephesus, which we're seeing here particularly in our focal passage, but he sends him also as a leader, as a representative to the church at Philippi. This young man, this one who might feel unqualified or underqualified and overwhelmed, he is an example to all. So not only an integrity of developing, part of our conduct of developing ourselves, but the conduct of our holiness. 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Folks, whether that is a secular setting or the church setting, living with holiness is a vital part of your character and your trustworthiness and your conduct is a huge part. And yes, we know, we're told in, in, in Peter as well, that if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we'll suffer persecution. So yes, if you live with holiness, I'm not going to tell you you'll never suffer persecution. You'll never suffer being ostracized at your place of business. But in the long run, if you live with holiness and character and integrity and Christ-likeness, you will gain great credibility. But think about holiness in general in our world. I love this quote by D.A. Carson talking about how we have drifted from holiness and character. People do not drift towards holiness, he says, that we don't drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-given effort, grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, to faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Folks, we live in a world that is not reflecting holiness. It is broken. And we, uh, we see examples of, of, of people that should be living with character and integrity and do not. Folks, in whatever the setting might be, we must live with holiness. And we do it through daily surrender. And we do it by developing the heart. Remember we talked about that the tongue is the most vivid indicator of the heart? If the tongue is the most vivid indicator of the heart, conduct is probably number two. Either way, it leads back to fixing the heart. Do you remember when we talked about the heat and the thorns a couple of years ago? We did a sermon series on how people change. How do we change? If we are heading in one way and we have really bad habits or difficulties in life and we have struggling giving those over to the Lord and struggle changing our lives and changing our character, we talked about that. And one of the things we talked about is, the, is looking at this idea of a, of a tree bearing good fruit or bearing bad fruit. And we talked about those two trees and ultimately it was the third tree, the cross of Jesus Christ, which takes effect. But we said a good tree, as it says in scripture, if it is a good tree, it will bear good fruit. 
If it is a bad tree, it will bear bad fruit, or in the illustration, thorns. But the heat is the same. The heat of the sun is the same. So when we, we can't say in our life and blame issues and problems in our speech or our conduct on different problems that we have. Because we live in a broken world and we face heat of a broken world. So when that heat comes in our life, it is either a chance for us to bear, it's a chance to bear what's in our heart, whether it be good fruit or whether it be bad. So if the heat comes in our life and we are not daily consecrating ourselves to the Lord, meaning daily surrendering ourselves to God and saying, God, you continue to change my heart, continue to fix my heart, continue to give me your heart and make me more like Jesus Christ. If we're not doing that, when the heat of, come, uh, heat of life comes, we'll bear thorns instead of bearing fruit. But when the heat of life comes and difficulty and burden comes in our life, if our heart is being developed like Jesus Christ, yes, we'll face that, 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 that difficulty in life. And it's not as though we've had some sort of spiritual or emotional lobotomy and that we don't feel it. We feel the difficulty. We feel the heat of light. We, heat, we feel the brokenness of life. But what does it do? It drives us closer to God. And it helps us to bear fruit, bear fruit of Christ-likeness. So how do we change our heart? How do we daily consecrate ourselves and change our heart? First of all, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you areas of your heart that are not Christ-like, they're not given to Him. And be honest with yourself. Pray and say, God, would you tell me, would you show me where an area of my life does not reflect your character? And Lord, would you give me the power to change? Guess what we also need to do? We need to ask friends that will speak the truth. We need to go to friends and say, can you tell me an area of my life, an area of my heart, uh, something of my conduct or my speech that doesn't reflect Jesus Christ? And that takes some vulnerability. That takes some humility. That takes bearing our soul and saying, you know what, I am willing to put myself out here. And I'm willing to expose myself and open myself up to a friend to that degree, even if they don't do the same. That takes some vulnerability. But you know what you have to do as well? Not only ask your friend that's willing to tell you the truth, not just be a yes man and just tell you what you want to hear, but someone that will tell you the truth, speak the truth in love, but you've also got to be a person that is willing to take critique. You've got to be willing to take critique. You've got to be willing to say, I am willing to hear what they say, and I'm not going to start making excuses or getting mad or lashing out. I'm going to take the critique. And then what do you do? You pray for change. You pray that God will change your heart. God, you are the only one that can do this work in my heart and change my heart. What do you also do practically? You memorize the word. Memorize the word, something that is related to an area of your heart that is not given over to the Lord, something that's sinful. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's gossip. Whatever it might be, find that scripture and memorize that scripture so it is hidden in your heart that you might not sin against God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Memorize the word and then obey, even when it's difficult. Even when your heart, even with the whole pattern of your life is said, I've done it this way my whole life, but God's word says do it this way. I'm going to grip my teeth, ask for the Holy Spirit's power in my life, and I'm going to obey the Lord and trust Him that His way is right. And His way is going to turn out better than decades of my life of doing it this way. His way is going to be right. That's how we change the heart. 
the outward example starts with the heart. And then we even see some examples here of an inward example that Paul gives to Timothy. So he says, not only be an example in speech and in conduct, but be an example in love. Love, it's speaking of that agape, sacrificial love, right? That is exactly that God-type sacrificial love that we see exhibited in the most vivid of ways by none other than God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to, to die on the cross for our sins, to be a sacrifice for us that we might be saved through Him. It saw its culmination in the cross, but that agape type of love is exactly what God has shown us throughout the entirety of human history, and that's what we are to exhibit as his children. Sacrificial agape love is a sign of a born-again person who is daily being renewed. That's that idea, again, of consecration. You're daily surrendering yourself. So if you've been born again, if you've been changed, you've surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have repented and believed in Him, He is your Savior, you've been changed, you've been born again, forgiven and cleansed, then you are holy, blameless, pure, and righteous. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. But he again is daily making you the way that he already sees you. What's your part? Your part is daily consecration. Your part is daily surrendering yourself to Jesus. Your part is to daily as your feet hit the ground. You're, you spin your feet off the bed. They hit the ground and you stand to your feet. You say, this day is your day. And I'm going to do things your way, God. That is how we daily consecrate ourselves, give ourselves daily to him afresh and anew. And when we do, we see that loving, sacrificial, agape love develop in our lives. And again, think about that. Think about how sacrificial love will, will communicate in any context you're leading. Yes, we know in the church, but think about how sacrificial love for others will communicate in any context of leadership we find ourselves in. Folks, people will sacrifice. They will sacrifice for the leader, for the person who lovingly sacrifices for them. People will do that. If you're a boss in a secular context or you're leading a group or whatever it might be, if people know that you love them and you're sacrificing for them, that opens the door wide for them sacrificing for you and most importantly, for the cause. So be an example in love. Also, in faith, in faith, some of your translations say spirit, but some of our newer Greek manuscripts do not have spirit there, and so some of your translations, you won't see that. Let's focus then on in love and in faith, in faith. We see here, in fact, that word faith in the original Greek is what we call anarthrous, meaning it doesn't have an article. And when you look at that, and when you look at the context of what we see here around it, and when we see how that word is used in different contexts, faith here is probably a faithfulness, a faithfulness. So we see that Paul calls Timothy not only to be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, but also in faithfulness, faithfulness. And we see this thread running throughout all of the great characters of Scripture. Think about Joseph himself, even though he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he could have been bitter. And he found himself, in fact, in the kingdom of, of Egypt. And although he was starting on his way to have a prominent position, he was, uh, he was thrown under the bus. He was, he was lied against by Potiphar's wife, who said that he, he made advances towards her. And so he was thrown in jail. He could have become doubly bitter. 
But God had a plan for him and it eventually elevated him to the most second, to the second position, second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And what, what did he do? He could have kind of twisted the circumstances. He could have made sure that he, 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 he gave his brothers the what for and he could have destroyed that nation from the inside out. But what did he do? He was faithful to the Lord and he was faithful to that nation. We also see in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 15, as the building of the temple is happening, those that have control of the money are giving the money to the workmen, ultimately through middlemen known as the foremen. And what did they do? It says this in verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 12. Moreover, they, the ones that controlled the money, did not require an account from the men, the foremen, into whom, whose hands they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. They were faithful men. They could be trusted. The ones that were giving the money ultimately to the workmen could trust those guys in the middle because they were faithful, trustworthy men of integrity. Also, we see in Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 47, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler of his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing, doing what the master called him to do. Assuredly, I say this to you, that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. And we know that parable ultimately was a parable for how are we living our lives. Are we ones that are living for the Lord? Are we storing up uh, uh, precious jewels in our life and, and valuable metals in our life as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Meaning, are we storing up things that last into eternity? Are we doing things for the glory of God or are we storing up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, wood, hay, and stubble? Are we storing up things that will ultimately not stand the test of time and be tested by fire and not make it through? Are we living for the Lord and his glory and for eternity or are we living for ourselves? Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness communicates, faithfulness demonstrates, faithfulness demonstrates this. Faithfulness demonstrates that others can count on you to be committed to the goal rather than to yourself. Faithfulness, man, it communicates in any context we find ourselves again, whether it be in the context of a local church like this or wherever you find yourself in leadership. Faithfulness demonstrates that others can count on you to be committed to the goal rather than to self. You're faithful. You're faithful to whatever the goal might be. Faithful in the context of your lives as a believer to the mission of making disciples. So in love, in faith or faithfulness, and then also in purity. Of course, this talks about sexual conduct, but this can also speak of purity and integrity of the heart. And what again are we called to do? We are called to consecrate ourselves, daily set ourselves apart for use unto God. Purity, purity. Purity is so important in whatever context, again, we find ourselves, whatever the context is, will it be something, will our purity build up our reputation or impurity, will it tear it down? A lack of purity erodes our influence, destroys relationships, and causes decay from the inside out. Folks, if you are not living in purity and asking the Lord to purify your life and purify your heart, a lack of it will erode your influence. It will erode your influence no matter where you're serving. It will erode your influence. It will destroy your relationships and it causes decay in your life from the inside out. Purity, purity, 
is a huge part of our leadership. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do? We're told in 2 Timothy 2.22 to flee. If we are struggling with issues of impurity in our lives, no matter what that might be, we are called to flee. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We touch back again upon Joseph in that moment where he was, uh, he was uh, uh, they were trying to seduce him. Potiphar was, or Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him. What did he do? Did he entertain it? Did he kind of uh, give in to it? Did he flirt with her? No, he fled. He fled. Flee youthful lust. What do we also need to do? Take a risk. That's just kind of funny, isn't it? We talked about risk in the last few weeks in the midst of this leadership series. But here's the risk we need to take. If we're struggling with impurity in our life, take a risk in this sense that you will go again. You will go and speak to a friend, a godly man or woman. If you're a man, speak to a man. If you're a woman, speak to a woman. But you will take the risk and you will share with them in confidence an issue of impurity in your life. We've talked about this before, but it is a sad state in our world that I know sitting in this room, there are several that are struggling with pornography. And as the, as the, the, the stats go up, it's not just men, but women are becoming increasingly uh, stuck with and struggling with pornography. And so in this room, as we sit here today, I know there are several that struggle with that. Take a risk of going to speak to someone, a man to a man, woman to a woman that you trust that will pray with you and hold you accountable and help you take necessary steps that you need to to break that issue of addiction in your life. Folks, whether it be that or just an illustration of any other impurity of your life, take the risk. Folks, if you don't have anyone else that you feel like you can come and trust to speak to about that issue or any other issue, you can come and speak with me. It will stay in confidence. If you know you're struggling with that, you're struggling with that, you feel like you're drowning in it, come and speak to me if there's no one else that you feel as though you can speak to. So flee, take a risk, and then again, much like we were talking about earlier with the heart, memorize and remember. Memorize and remember. No temptation has overtaken you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, memorize this scripture as well. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. If there's no other word or there's no other scripture that you memorize related to purity in your life and temptation, memorize that scripture, that it may be there. It may be ready in the moment of, of temptation that you may quote that, that word and you may stand under its power and that you may ask the Lord to help you resist. But in all things, no matter what our leadership role may be, we must be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faithfulness, in purity. Be an example because even when we feel overwhelmed and underqualified, you can d- develop as a leader by being an example for all. Let's pray. Lord God, as we, uh, again, bring this message to a close today, all of us at times, whether it be because of age or whether we just feel underqualified because of lack of experience and therefore we feel overwhelmed, whatever it may be, we will find ourselves at times feeling like, how do I lead this? How can I lead? 
But whether the context be in the local church or whether the context be in the secular world, let us use the the words, the admonitions given by you through Paul to Timothy that we can be an example to all in our speech, in our conduct, in our love, in our faithfulness, in our purity. And God, we know that at times living for you and living for holiness and with holiness will bring persecution our way. You've never promised anything other than that. But we know in the long run, in whatever the context might be, that when we live with Christ-like character, that communicates and gives us the ability to lead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We talked a lot.